Good morning and welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and on the NSN app. And we are happy to welcome back to the program once again Michael Cohen, the Eastern Director for the Simon Wiesenthal Center based in Los Angeles, but a worldwide NGO dedicated to fighting anti-Semitism, promoting tolerance, famous museums around the country. Michael, welcome back to Spin Class. No, thanks for having so me. unfortunately, really when we have you on, that. there's something going on, something percolating out there. And in this case, I wanted to discuss most specifically this bombshell, well, I, I, outrageous bombshell of a report by the another NGO known as Amnesty International. While it might not be a household word as an NGO to most of our listenership, because it certainly is firmly on the left wing of... Uh, firmly on the left wing of uh, the political uh, continuum, uh, they have authored a report that come, came out on February 1st, Israel's apartheid against Palestinians, cruel system of domination and crime against humanity. Now, it's as many of, I'd say, blood libelous type accusations as you can fit into a single headline, Michael. Give the audience an idea of what this is, what's this all about, why is Amnesty International engaged in such a libelous accusation against the Jewish people, against the state of Israel, and why does it matter? You don't have to take them all at one time. Well, I, I, I think one of the things that, uh, you know, when you and I, you know, spoke over the last couple of days, one of the things that you asked was, is this a, another Durban? And is this something which is new? Jump in there for a and second. Tell us what Durban seeing, you know, was. Give us background on Durban and why, because it's so long ago at this point. Like the first Durban was was twenty years ago in a way. So tell us what tell us what Durban was, and yeah. you know, and how this might be a continuation of that. Well, in a nutshell, you're talking about an international, you know, uh, global conference that dealt with uh, human rights issues and fighting racism and, and stereotyping and, and and all those kinds of isms which we look to, um, but also. Um, one which did not have much of a different opinion about uh, Judaism and about Israel than what we're seeing in the Amnesty International report. Um, so you'd like to think that, especially in an age now where everybody's um, increasingly aware of racism, of all the isms and of, of hate in our community and in society, um, that after 20 years, that anti-Semitism would be something that we can recognize as well. Um, and that the right of the Jewish people to ha have a sovereign state um, you know, would also be something that we can recognize in, after all these years and not have to still try to fight to make sure is, is in the eyes of folks like Amnesty International to be a legitimate entity. So it goes back to that kind of core discussion of whether Israel even has a right to exist. I mean, I see things in this report that are just from our perspective and we, we look at Many of us live within a little bit of a bubble here in New York, although that's obviously changing of from right and left and some of those threats. But we see there's organizations out there that are well-known international organizations that almost seem dedicated to – and possibly considered mainstream that are dedicated to delegitimizing the Jewish state. Well, I'll tell you, I was speaking yesterday to uh, 
um, from the Wiesendahl Center, Rabbi Abraham Cooper, who sure. was actually at Durban. So, you know, I wanted to get some of that institutional history and memory, and you know, and from folks like us who weren't who weren't there twenty some odd years ago. Um, and he was telling me a story on how you had a situation where resolutions came up um, when you had organizations speaking in the day before all the na- the actual representatives of the various nations got there, and they were talking about a whole host of different resolutions to bring before the. Uh, the larger body the next day. And you're talking about 3,500 not-for-profits internationally that deal with these kind of uh, human rights issues, so to speak. And he was talking about how the next day a representative came up in front of all the nations that were there. And when Jews in Israel came up and combating anti-Semitism came up in one of the really generic resolutions talking about how we need to fight against hate and that anti-Semitism was labeled within that, how she shot it down saying, this is a conference about racism. I don't understand why anti-Semitism is relevant and in this resolution, it shouldn't be. And it was voted down. And then you had the rest of the, the Jews who were there pretty much walk out. I mean, when, when you can't acknowledge that hate includes hate against Jews on that kind of scale, and like you said also earlier, this is not a question of some one, one-off group saying this. This is whether it was in Durban, whether it's here. These are groups that are recognized throughout the world, that have a legitimacy throughout the world, still saying these kinds of things. Um, And let's also look back at what the relevance here is and what are they trying to accomplish here? Because realize the whole um, uh, Israel apartheid line was coined at Durban. So you ended up in a situation where that has now gone into what we see in a lot of the rhetoric still 20 years later. So first of all, did Durban matter? Well, we're still dealing very much so with that apartheid language. Um, but also what you're looking at right now is, let's look at what they're trying to accomplish. What they're trying to accomplish is saying that if Israel is an apartheid state, and if there are war crimes here, and if all those kind of things that Israel is doing in the sense of racism and, anti- and, 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 and fighting in these kind of ways that are criminal, they're trying to set the stage for bringing the, the Israel and the Jewish world in front of the world's criminal court. I mean, they're looking for a prosecution. They're looking for consequences. This is not just a report that's saying, we want to just state our opinion. There's an end game here, which is incredibly dangerous to anybody watching. And okay, let's continue on that, because I think it's important for people to understand why this matters. I mean, you can say, okay, it's so far out there the apartheid language is so far out there. The rhetoric is so far out there. The they're they are not even for a two-state solution. In a, and I mean, if you want to read into the report in that way, so where is why does it still matter? Can't we just dismiss it as hateful rhetoric? Well, you look at it this way: what we're dealing with around the world. You know, every year the Simon Wiesendahl Center puts out its top ten most egregious anti-Semitic situations um, around January. So we put out our list you know, a couple of weeks ago, and I was speaking at a forum uh, last night um, or the night before for the West End Synagogue in Manhattan who wanted to speak specifically about the media's influence in promoting anti-Semitism and anti-Israel type rhetoric. And one of the things that we saw in our top 10 was that regardless of whether an issue was happening um, you know, in 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 the West Bank, or whether it was happening in 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 Israel, in, in, you know, that's not in the West Bank. Um, 
the comments or the references in the BBC were referencing the Jews in those stories as settlers. So we can understand, not that we agree, but we can understand um, why somebody in the West Bank, when we're talking about areas that on an international level are, are called disputed territories, would be called settlers. But you can't call somebody in Tel Aviv a settler. Um, if you do, then you have to ask once again, what is the end game? Is the end game here to just get rid of Israel and wipe it off the face of the map? And then when you see how the influence of that in, in, the, in the international society and international organizations, and here you see, again, the charges of, uh, of, of war criminality that they're trying to set up. So it's all, it's all different pieces of a puzzle trying to delegitimize Israel as a nation state. It's trying to delegitimize the Jewish world as having a right to having a sovereign state. And if that's not anti-Semitism, of I don't course. know what is. Uh, it's, of it's really something to even behold this report. I mean, to read, read through it. Uh, it's outrage after outrage in, 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 in so many ways. Uh, I think that it has given such fodder to people on the left especially in Europe who are out there now saying we have to rethink our uh, our relationships with Israel because it's apartheid and you know of course that has the south african undertones where the entire world for those of us who are old enough to remember you know the movement against south africa back in the 80s and how that grew into a widespread worldwide isolation, which is, of course, the same thing that they're trying to do, the BDS movement tries to do with Israel. It, it seems to be exactly part of that same campaign to go ahead and do that. Now, fortunately, I guess in some ways, uh, a bipartisan group of U.S. lawmakers, even the U.S. ambassador to Israel, have condemned this, um, have condemned this report uh, and have said that and dismissed it in many ways, which I think is is wonderful. Um, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, uh, a former DNC chairwoman, called it baseless, bias, steeped in anti-Semitism, part of Amnesty's broad decades-long campaign to criminalize and delegitimize the world's only Jewish state. Our own New Yorker, Congressman Lee Zeldin, said Amnesty International is a so-called human rights organization that routinely hurls false accusations of oppression against Israel, ignores violent attacks on Israel, from its hostile neighbors and fans the flames of anti-Semitism around the world. Certainly nobody is mincing words in the U.S. government with regard to this approach. But I do think, uh, I want to ask you a question as an advocate, advocate for human rights and tolerance out there on behalf of Jews and behalf of the Jewish people. How do we, how do you balance or how does the Simon Wiesenthal balance this struggle to dismiss Amnesty International's report with legitimate reports about anti-Semitism and hate that are out there, and you know how does how how do activists not jump on this one and say, okay, well, I'll accept your accusations of hate and anti-Semitism, but you also have to accept this these uh, your blood libels against Israel. Well, you know, like you said, I mean, we're dealing in a world of challenges. I mean, we, you know, one of the things, you know, not to forget is, is uh, sure. the, the Ben and Jerry's challenge that we're dealing with. You know, I, I mean, I mean, this is all part and parcel of, of one message and one direction of what of what uh, pieces of the world are trying to do. Um, so, for instance, also, you were mentioning 
uh, about all kinds of American activists and the and elected official uh, elected official types who were acting out and speaking out against the uh, Amnesty International report. Uh, the Wiesnall Center also is on a letter um, with over 40 other uh, organizations that went to Gutierrez over at, uh, at the United Nations to do that as well. So first of all, you know, one thing that I, that I you know, I, I spoke about, like I said, at a forum a couple of days ago, was when we looked at the, so when, for instance, when the Bibi Netanyahu um, cartoon was in front of at the New York Times, and regardless of what you felt of the Israeli government, you couldn't, you know, having the Israeli prime minister um, shown to be a dog, um, it, you can't, it is no justification. Um, it's, you know, but when we did a rally afterwards uh, with a number of other organizations right outside the New York Times with, you know, the day after beautiful weather, after work, six o'clock, um, no excuse for folks not to be there. I, I mean, if I said we had 200 people there, I'd say we're probably being generous. So we first need to make sure that both Wiesenthal, other Jewish organizations, and the Jewish world needs to make sure that we speak out with every breath we have to make sure that this is not going to be tolerated. Because if we end up having a protest against something of, of that ilk, and we can't get 200 people to speak out, then the world says, well, we can continue. If they see the kind of dramatic pushback whether it's members of Congress, whether it's at the UN, whether it's, it's other officials that we have to forge those relationships with. That shows pushback on a more credible level. And part of what, you know, when we, you know nobody likes to hear the words behind the scenes because they think nothing's actually happening behind the scenes when organizations say that. But the reality is, is when you get a member of Congress to speak out in this way, it's because you've built a 5, 10, 15 year relationship with that person. And that behind the scenes is happening all the time by organizations like the Simon Wiesenthal Center, where we're having these meetings, these it, constantly showing the materials, explaining to them, so that when situations like this happen, we have allies, and we need to look throughout different communities like we do in educating. Um, you know, one of the things that the, the Wiesenthal Center was blessed to to uh, be appropriated with um, by the New York State Assembly uh, this past year was a mobile museum of tolerance. We have one in, uh, in Chicago, we have one in Toronto, but that's to go from community to community, to elected officials district, to elected officials district, teaching these issues, teaching tolerance, teaching diversity, teaching what's really going on so that we can build a next generation that we can really fight together on these kinds of basic fundamental human rights issues that obviously after 20 years after Durban, we're still sitting there on the front lines having to do, unfortunately. Okay, so I wanna roll this into a current topic from this week, which is the hearing that was finally given to Deborah Lipstadt, the eminent um, scholar of anti-Semitism from Atlanta, who uh, had been kind of held up in partisan wrangling about becoming the ambassador, global ambassador on anti-Semitism issues. Uh, I think she has a wonderful line that she makes in her new book, Anti-Semitism Here and Now, and I think which is particularly relevant with regard to the Texas hostage crisis, where she says anti-Semitism is not the hatred of people who happen to be Jews. It is hatred of them because they are Jews. And I think that that is kind of you know, what, at first, the government and the FBI and even President Biden kind of ignored the idea of the reason that it wasn't some random attack. It was the fact that the terrorists went there thinking that the Jews would be the ones who could get this guy out of prison and or this woman out of prison, I should say. 
And of course, you know, that that canard about Jewish power and Jewish control was alive and well in his mind. But of course, you know, let's just talk for a second about the fact that it's been so long how anti-Semitism to some degree and fighting anti-Semitism has become somewhat of a political football between Democrats and Republicans in Washington and probably even elsewhere in the political sphere here in the U.S. Well, there are a few things you can say to that. I mean, first of all, you know, it's it, it unfortunately demonstrates that uh, the protocols of the elders of Zion is still unfortunately alive and well. Um, and we need to realize when we say that we're talking about Henry Ford. So we're talking about what now? It's a hundred years ago, roughly. So, and I say that to mean that this is not a new problem. This is these are not new theories. You know, these this is what the, what the Jews have dealt with. You know, from time immemorial. Um, you know, another thing when you look at the media coverage initially that came out of uh, of Texas of Coleyville, initially they were labeling it as a terrorist attack. They were laboring it. They were saying the incident. Um, to me, when you're attacking Jews because you want Jewish power in a synagogue on the Sabbath, I'm not really sure how much more you need in terms of benchmarks to say this is anti-Semitism. You know, I, I mean, you know, so you look at the media there also. So when we're fighting back and we're saying we need to fight the global rise in anti-Semitism and the national rise in anti-Semitism, but if national media outlets are not calling it anti-Semitism, then allies where there aren't necessarily large Jewish communities, um, they're not hearing that if they're just hearing terrorist insurrections or whatnot. We need to make sure, like I said, once again, we are working with media outlets and making sure that they come back out and say, this is anti-Semitism. This is what the Jewish community is dealing with. And this is what needs to be dealt with. Um, you know, we, we were fortunate in New York City to finally in 2019 to be able to, um, you know, establish the New York City office on, on the uh, prevention of hate crimes, um, which came after the march across the Brooklyn Bridge on the No Hate, No Fear march. So uh, that is a demonstration of things that we can do if we're active in fighting back, but also demonstrates just how far we have to go. Um, you know, it's you know when you when you look at uh, that ambassadorship, you know typically it's known as as a international ambassadorship to fight international anti-Semitism. But if you look at her predecessor, I remember a bunch of years ago um, when Rise of Ocean County out in Lakewood and Jackson and and, and Brick and um, and Tom's River uh, was exploding back in 2019. Um, which I actually remember exactly when, because my uh, you know my three-year-old's birthday is today, and my wife was fearful that I was sitting there at every single uh, council meeting passing resolutions to condemn that uh, raw group called the Rise of Ocean County, afraid I'd miss the birth because I was hanging out down there. Uh, but thankfully, another, another casualty of anti-Semitism. Uh, but in essence, though, <laughs> but um, you know, thank God for Shabbos babies. Um, but uh, what you ended up happening though is. The uh, you know the ambassador at that point came down to Lakewood and spoke down there, which was unheard of because to really come to speak in a national forum about national anti-Semitism was a statement to say this is real, this has to be dealt with, this will help percolate and 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 rise the level where it will be noticed internationally. Um, and right around that time is when also you had Governor Murphy at that time get involved and the Attorney General, um, uh, Guber Brewall, who was a saint when it came to fighting anti-Semitism. Um, you know, but you were able to do that and you needed the attention of that office. 
But the fact that that office, which is typically known to fight international anti-Semitism, thought it's so egregious what was happening in our own backyard to get permission to come and speak nationally in our own backyard like that, it just shows you where we're at. Sure. Okay, uh, Michael Cohen, I want to give you one last question. I think this is just somewhat for an organizational speaking for the Simon Wiesenthal Center and the things that you do every day. And, you know, the, the level of complication that something like this type of report adds to your to your day job and your everyday job. And so we still, you know, the idea that uh, using that word Israel and apartheid and saying them in the same breath, how do, is, it, is that a bell that can be unrung? Is that something that we can undo? How do we undo it? Aside from raising our voices in protest, but is there something out there that can kind of, or is just we have to accept the delegitimization of the Jewish state? We have to accept the hatred of the Jews and fight back against it just as we do every day. I hate to be fatalistic about it. I'll tell you, both my, sure, I, I mean, both myself personally and the Simon Wiesenthal Center, I can assure you, will never accept in any way, shape, or form Israel being delegitimized and called an apartheid state. Uh, you know, a lot of it, is building you know, is understanding you have certain folks who are anti-semitic who are not going to be swayed but you have a vast middle who needs to be educated who needs to be talked to it's why we sit 18 hours a day in these kind of conversations because you know look at what apartheid was look at what israel is show me where the parallels are because they're just not there but when you want to talk to reasonable people who are hearing this kind of rhetoric they need to be spoken to and talked to and you know, they need to have their questions answered in a respectful way and building those alliances. I mean, let's be frank. Look at the Knesset. Look at the amount of Arab parties. In the government. In the Arab party look at, in the government. Look at, look, it's not just a party you're talking about. I forgot the exact numbers off the top of my head, but is it, it's roughly 20 members out of 120 or somewhere in that vicinity. Um, you're talking about real serious representation. You're talking about those parties having been really considered in the vote count for who is going to have the government control over the last couple of elections. Um, I don't remember that happening in South Africa. I mean, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. So those kind of conversations are things we have to have constantly, whether it's with leaders, whether it's in the grassroots arena, whether it's with other organizations, because, you know, I have to believe that there are people and organizations and government officials who want the truth. But there are also a lot of voices out there that want to tell a very different uh, story, which has no bearing in reality. And absent the voice of the Simon Wiesenthal Center and organizations like us, the only thing that all, all of those folks might hear is what we can't afford to have them here in a vacuum. So we have to continue fighting every day. Listen, Michael, folks, you know, you've been on the front lines right alongside me for, uh, what, 25, 30 years? I, I don't even know how many years anymore. But Being these kind of shows. On a show. I have to be very casual about it. <laughs> well, at least I can take solace in knowing you still probably have a few more gray hairs than I do. This still, is radio. So, uh, I'm, 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 you can't, we, don't, we don't have any pictures on radio. <laughs> but, you know, but these kind of things is a reason why folks like you and I, you know, started fighting, you know, and, and, you know so many years ago. And understand that the need to be on a show right. like this and do a show like this is so important because, you know what, if we change one mind today, it'll have been worth it. 
if we have one person listen and hear the realities and make them question what they're hearing about that report, we have succeeded. So I, I credit you with all the efforts you do in doing this show. I'm happy to be on. I'm happy well, to come on and help you anytime you need. The choir, but I will say to the people at home, the people listening, wherever you are, get active, understand what's going on, understand why it affects you, understand why you cannot allow these allegations to go unchecked, unanswered, and that we have organizations out there that are fighting for the rights of Jews and protecting Jews out there. We have multiple organizations, Simon Wiesenthal being uh, a, a, a leader amongst them. But I think it's so, so important for everybody to understand what is going on and how people are challenging our right to a Jewish homeland and the Jewish state. And, and I'll just I'll just tell you this um, to show you how effective we can be. You know, when when uh, when Joey Borgen um, was attacked this summer, myself with the Simon Wiesenthal Center uh, and a few local leaders in in the uh, in the Five Towns community, including Rabbi Axelrod, uh, Rabbi Trump, Rabbi Hain, and, and a few and a few others, uh, we got we got together. Um, you know, by you know, uh, talking all of that Sunday after it happened. And said, we have to do something big. We have to do something now. It was Memorial Day Monday, so if we waited through over over that hump, you know, the, the heightened abilities to do something and the passion would probably dissipate. Literally on Thursday night, we're talking less than four days, we put together in the five towns in Cedarhurst Park what police said was the largest gathering in Cedarhurst Park in the history of the park, fighting against anti-Semitism that day. But I'll tell you, in the behind the scenes, so to speak. You know, as people realized how much it was growing, I can't tell you the amount of people who were members of Congress, other high-end elected officials, who were suddenly calling and saying, I want to come. Can I speak? How long do I have? I want to make my point clear. And I'll tell you, you know, one of my closest friends, you know, uh, in, in, in government and in my personal and, and personally uh, is a council person by the name of uh, Selvina Brooks Powers, who represents the Rockaways and Far Rockaway and the Far Rockaways Jewish community. And I'll never forget, she got up there and basically looked at everybody and said, you need to know, I have your back. And that in and of itself demonstrates we have allies. We have important allies, but that doesn't just come as a one-way street. And it doesn't just come because we called on somebody to a rally. It comes because, for instance, you know, she and I and her and the Jewish community have a very long-term significant relationship. So we need to continue building those relationships we need to continue recognizing and cherishing, you know, allies like her and others, um, you know, like Reverend Al Cockfield, who was there that night and spoke enormously well. But we need to understand how important those alliances are, how important those relationships are, how important it is for us to be active and come out and show those kind of numbers and show that we will not stand for anti-Semitism. We will not stand for anti-Israel rhetoric and we will be on those front lines, and we're not Michael, going away. Uh, Michael Cohen, the Eastern Director of the Simon oh, Wiesenthal yeah. Center, thank you so much for joining us. And get involved. Get active. This is important. Thank you again. Michael, thanks so much again. So as we close out this week here on Spin Class, uh, two items from each side of the aisle. Well, of course, the RNC has famously, at this point, disciplined... Representatives Liv Cheney and Representative Adam Kinzinger of Illinois for participating in the January 6th 
commission, and they did that by saying that they are going after legitimate political discourse. I think a poor choice of words. But then, of course, they ask Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell what he thinks, and uh, he didn't mince any words. We are all here, he said. We saw what happened. It was a violent insurrection for the purpose of trying to prevent the peaceful transfer of power after a legitimately certified election from one administration to the next. That's what it was, said McConnell, leaving no ambiguity whatsoever as to how what he thought of what happened on January 6th. Now, usually it's the Democrats who are engaged in the circular firing squad, but here we have Republicans totally distracting from what sh- they should be doing is focusing on the mistakes of this administration, focusing on the midterms and how they are going to take back both houses of Congress. But instead, they are focusing on Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. But not to be outdone, of course, we, of course, have somebody for the left, Representative Cory Bush, the Democrat of Missouri, says she said she is not going to stop using the slogan, defund the police, ahead of this fall's midterms, even though some people have asked her to stop doing it. And she acknowledged, she says, I will always tell fellow Democrats, if you had all fixed this fix before I got here, I wouldn't have had to say these things. Then she said the party can do a better job of explaining what exactly it means when it calls for defunding the police. Defund the police is not the problem, she added. We dangled the carrot in front of people's faces and said we can get it done and that Democrats deliver. We haven't totally delivered. If Republicans take the majority, it's just done as far as trying to get legislation across. And then she said defund the police is not the problem. It's – it's all about the fact that we can't get things done as progressives. Well, perhaps the people of the United States don't want her progressive vision. And that's it for this week here on Spin Glass, here on the Nakam Seagull Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Joseph. See you next week. 